Hello and welcome to episode five of the From the Start podcast, the fifth and last episode in series one of Normal People with Incredible Stories to Tell. Um, how I came about contacting this individual to come on the podcast was a bit of a strange one, so I'll give a bit of a backstory for the listeners. I was sat watching uh, a tattoo program with my wife on telly and uh, up popped up popped my next guest and I was like, he'd be pretty good to speak to. So I did the usual thing that you can do nowadays and stalk people by our social media. So I found him, stalked him, sent him a message and uh, I'm really pleased that Charlie Guingolt uh, has agreed to come on uh, and talk to me about his life and his uh, sort of actions on the night uh, in 2017 uh, one of the London terror attacks. So, Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Gary. No, it's a pleasure, mate. Uh, how are you keeping uh, during this crazy time? Yeah, keeping on, keeping on. Take it day by day, really. Um, you know, at least the weather now is, is becoming a bit better, really. Getting the opportunity to see uh, more people now, albeit from a, an acceptable distance, we'll say. Um, but, you know, I think everyone's in the same sort of boat. Um, just have to sort of keep playing through, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think the good thing is that we look like we broke its back to an a point now. We look like we're kind of coming out the the other side a little bit. Um, obviously, things are starting to settle down a little bit, and you know, you you might hope by maybe Christmas time we might return to some form of normality. Uh, but best place to start with you, then, Charlie. Uh, child growing up, where did you grow up? So yeah, I grew up in uh, Betsy Village, small village just on the outside of London just on the sort of like the suburbs of London, as it were. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people probably say the same thing in terms of like a normal upbringing, but yeah, it was a normal upbringing, um, well, for me anyway. Um, so mum and dad, they're still together. Um, one older sister. Um, I wouldn't say we were sort of, you know, privileged or entitled, you know, it was the sort of, you know, mum and dad, well, mum would work part-time, dad would work full-time end up two weeks in Spain or Greece for holidays, that sort of thing, self-catering. Um, yeah, sort of like comfortable to a, to a sense. Um, you know, we were never sort of children who would really ask for much, you know, bits here and there. But, you know, again, not sort of like you know, asking for too much. Um, you know, did a lot of sport when I was younger. Um, my sister was actually very sporty as well, um, which was always sort of good competition between ourselves. Um, you know, dad paid for us to go cricket, paid for us to go football, um, bought me a dartboard, which I was religiously playing for pretty much, you know, my secondary school days. Um, yeah, and, you know, education-wise, you know, we were told pretty much, you know, just persevere, you know, you earn what you get, really, at the end of the day, you know, if you feel at any point that you're sort of, you know, struggling you know we're here to help you know and persevere through really and we've sort of taken that um i guess life advice throughout really um so yeah gccs a levels all quite sort of simple things really um then turned 18 and so oh here we go we can now start going out we can start going to parties we can start you know all that sort of stuff so that was obviously very entertaining um you know, took sort of my, well, previous sort of likeness for cricket into a bit of coaching, some volunteering at our local cricket club, um, bits here and there around that. Um, you know, 
because again, don't want to sound too posh because quite clearly I don't sound that posh, but um, you know, grammar school was very much sort of you go to university. Um, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't my cup of tea. Um, you know, and I guess even throughout that stage, you know, I was pretty set up on what I wanted to do really for the rest of my life, really, what my sort of ideal career was at that point anyway. So when did policing sort of cross your cross your path and you thought that's what I want to do? Did you always have that sense of purpose that that's where your life would lead you? I mean, I've always sort of had that as an idea from quite a young age. Um, you know, I've obviously been asked that like, quite a few times and sort of other things as well. And, you know, the only thing that really sort of strikes the mind is watching episodes of The Bill for a long period of time um, that sort of gave it that that impetus, really. I think that's probably where it stemmed from. Um, you know, you know, we see a lot of people who come in, you know, either family members have done it, mum, dad, brothers, sisters, etc., have done it. Um, but no, um, I, I, there's no one associated with that. If anything, they've probably associated the other side of it a bit slightly. Um, but, yeah, it was never sort of, you know, like that did it, so I'll do it. It was just sort of something I came across that I thought, yeah, it'd be quite interesting. Um, in, I think, probably about year 10, we had some sort of like careers, guidance, advice, and things like that. And apparently, I could have become an accountant due to the skills and the sort of things I liked. So that was a, a couple of years of I'm going to be an accountant. Um, I think the main thing for me was the you know, not being sort of nine to five, not being in an office. It was a case of, you know, I'll say, you know, a lot of people will say, and I'll probably get a bit of sort of stick for this, but, you know, yes, there is the element of helping your community. But at the end of the day, you've really got to do a job that you want to do. And yes, there is that thing of, you know, you get to help people, you get to change people's lives for the better, you would hope as a whole, Yes, you are going to arrest people. Yes, you are going to take their liberty away. But you are still, hopefully, going to be helping that person out. So I think that's where it's sort of developed from. And even if it was a case, if you know, if I did it, didn't like it, then, you know, go, go somewhere else. I mean, that's, that's sort of how, you know, we sort of really look at it. Yeah, so um, for the process then of joining, joining the police, uh, did you get him first time? Because uh, I certainly know in my job, there's we get some people who come from recruits courses for the fire service, and it's like the fourth and fifth attempt, and you know they, they've just persevered and stuck with it. So, what what were the recruitment process like for you? Uh, yeah, so it would have been 2013. I think it was when the application came out because originally it was very much sort of you have to be a PSO, you have to be a special before you can join. Um, in 2013, they did a you know, pretty much if you've been living in London for a certain amount of time, I, think, I believe it was at the time, you can join without having any experience. And I was like, well, yeah, let's crack on that. Um, I think I applied to join the specials as well, just so obviously there was some avenue somewhat into it. Again, if it was sort of working as a special, okay, find another job, see if you like it the special, then go full-time from there. Um but yeah, fortunately enough, sort of was waiting for that application to come out. I think it took about four hours to do online. Um, and then I think I had my sort of first assessment day in October. Um, and then I think a second one in November. So that was more like sort of the medical side of things. Um, they pretty much said to me at the time, well, actually, you're too fat to join. <laughs> um, which I was. 
<laughs> um, so it was a case of slightly dropping a few bits of weight and then basically to get measured at the doctors and then they went, yeah, that's fine. Um, you can start, I think it was um, March, end of March 2014. So just a bit of personal health training, I guess, to, to start pointing. Yeah, so for anybody who might not know, because I certainly don't know, um, what does basic training for the police entail? You know, I, um, I should imagine you'll have to learn a lot about the law, hell of a lot about the law, but other than that, I don't really know what else there is. Yeah, so initially, like before I started, I was sort of like, oh, is it going to be like you know, police academies, sort of like that Americans, and I was sort of part of it. Um, it is classroom-based. It is very much sort of a, um, yes, this is the law. This is how you use it. This is the sort of procedures. This is how you arrest someone. This is how you search someone. This is how you sort of do drink drives, sort of related stuff, talking about sort of bringing people into custody so when they've been arrested. Um, forms, paperwork, um, IT systems, and then I guess the main part really for our job is our officer safety training and our first aid training. So that culminated to about, I think at the time it was still 13 weeks, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Um, and then you sort of was allocated to go different places. Um, you know, the class I was in, I was actually quite fortunate because a lot of them had done the job and had done it sort of either as a special PCSOs or sort of full-time but in other constabularies so we sat there like in the first day and you sort of have, you have two days at Hendon which is pretty much them trying to sell you stuff it's like do you want, to do you want this healthcare do you want this that and the other and we're all like what <laughs> like we just want to like learn about the job um so the first days I did fortunately I did mine quite locally which was even more convenient. It's like literally like a five, 10 minute train journey. So that was very convenient for me. Um, but yeah, sat all around in, in this classroom and sort of the, the instructor is sort of saying, okay, so like, introduce yourself. Who are you? Where have you come from? You know, that, that sort of thing like that. So we're going around this room and I'm just starting to hear all these accents. So I've got people from Somerset. I've got people from Wales. I've got people from Scotland. I've got people from like Manchester. And I'm like, okay, this is all a bit sort of weird. Yeah, I've done the job for this long and all this stuff. And I was like, so yeah, uh, I live five minutes away. I was born just up the road. Um, yeah, lived in London all my life. So um, sort of got different views from different people, which I think really helped a lot, especially for someone who, you know, well, let's face it, didn't really have an idea at all about anything really, apart from, oh, that's what they do on the TV. That's what I was in the show. And, you know, sort of like, what is it really like? So. I guess in that way, I was, I was quite fortunate. And then um, we were, it was only really, I didn't sort of go with any of them to uh, the borough I was going. So I went to uh, Southwark Borough. I mean, that was like my first choice, um, you know, London Bridge, Peckham and all that sort of area there. You know, I've had family in Bermondsey. So I sort of had an idea of the area. Um, and it's sort of a case of, in that one, it was sort of you're with someone who's going to sort of, help you through and then you do about five weeks sort of aided I guess you could call it um, and then you have your sort of little ceremony after that and then at that point you're sort of free to sort of move forward. I imagine it is a bit of a steep learning curve uh, Charlie when you first get out and get get on the streets for real. So you know I, I mean probably everyone probably remembers their first day quite clearly um, it was sort of 
you know, came to the office, got there, obviously got there very, very early, just in case, you know, they don't want to be late on your first day. Um, you know, we had a bit of time like wearing the uniform, but not sort of like, you know, actually putting it on. And then you sort of put your little, uh, well, what should we call it? We'll call it a tip, because that's what it looks like. We'll put your little tip hat on. Um, you then, and then you're sort of in your gear, you've got your armor on, you've got your utility belt, you're in the, all the uniform, and you're just walking down the street like, oh, I'm actually a police officer here. And you sort of got this bright smile on your face, like going, if anyone asks me anything, I have no idea what to do, but you know, I'm sort of just going to stand here, look like I know what I'm doing, and then we'll just go from there. And I'll be like, oh, can someone help me? Like a colleague, whatever, so can you help me? Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you sort of took a learning curve in terms of the training aspect, yeah, that is a lot. But when you go out there initially, it is even higher. Um, yeah. Because there's so much, there's so much we could talk about in training for so long that, you know, without actually doing it, you're not going to realise how all that sort of training, all that practice is actually put to use. So at the start, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not. Um, some people get to it much quicker than others. I, I would say I was personally quite slow in understanding it. Um, but you know, other people just are just just this no straight away. So it, it really depends on on who you are. But you know, not sort of an advertisement here for the police. But I, honestly, I honestly think anyone can do this job. Because, not because it's easy, because you can learn the skills, you can bring out your personality, and you can really sort of make it your own. I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> them early days in the emergency services are terrifying. I know when I first joined the fire service and I, I passed my training, uh, much like yourself, and I landed out on station. I remember landing out on station thinking, I don't feel like I know anything here. And uh, we started, when I first started, we started at nine o'clock and literally I came on duty at nine o'clock and we got, got bailed out at two minutes past nine. And I remember looking across it back at fire engine thinking, this guy looks like he knows where he's on me. I'll just follow him about. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what I did for about the first two years. I literally just copied this guy outside of me and just, like sort of followed his lead a little bit and picked little bits up uh, because literally the the words forget about what you've learned in training that's not real this is real echoed in yeah. my ears for for months um, yeah that's something that a lot of people who have done training come back to me and say they say forget from you doing training I'm like oh thanks cheers that's like three months of my time gone completely um i understand where that that what that means i understand where it comes from um and yeah, there it's just it's two different worlds really. Actually, doing it is completely different to learning about it. Um, it's just a foundation, really, isn't it? It's to go give them foundation to know that this is how this works. When you do it, it will hopefully make sense. Yeah, we, we kind of in our training department we liken it to um, a driving test. So you you have all your driving lessons. You you learn how to drive. You do your driving test, and then you actually learn to drive after that. Um, as in your you sort of get your experience and know what you know, know what you can and can't do within the sort of rules you've been given, kind of thing. Um, so that's how we we kind of liken it to that. Um, so when you did uh, sort of get out, then what what exactly what you thought it'd be, uh, Charlie? You know, um, running up to that um, that event that we'll get onto in a minute. Um, you know, was policing what you thought it'd be, or or, or was it sort of uh, more pressure, more stressful, more enjoyable? You know. How did you kind of see it? Because I think the other thing is as well, um, policing for you in in London, in that there London, me being up in Yorkshire, would be a lot different from policing in in Barnsley, which is obviously a local town for me. So, you know, what, what was it what you thought it would be when you first started? Um, 
yes and no. Um, yes, in the sort of, you know, what, what you're expected to do. And it was quite a variety of different things that you would deal with. Um, you know, initially, you know, it was a sort of, yeah, you get into a fast car and you go and you deal with stuff like that. And, it, and you know, I went to like a neighbourhoods team, so sort of a local policing side of things. And, you know, you can look at it in two ways. Firstly, you can look at it, it as a bit more sort of what we call slow time. So you do have a chance to really sort of like, focus on what you're doing and do, you know, sort of have a chance to do what you want to do, which is really beneficial. Started looking a bit more sort of, you know, getting into like warrants, getting into intelligence, um, operations, those sort of things, which, you know, on a sort of response team, you might not have the chance to do. Um, alternatively, yeah, you want to be going to the, the big calls, the, the fast cars and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, like you just, as I said, you just sort of make it your own, and you you sort of in a position where if you if you want to do something, you've got I guess the power and you've got the sort of abilities to do that. Um, you know, I sort of remember, you know, sort of thinking like, why 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 are we doing this? Surely this is a job for you know this service or that service. But then you sort of realise like the amount of variety, the amount of different things that you're sort of expected to do, um, is sort of you know, it's an endless list, really. And I think that's something that maybe you didn't realise at the time, but then you sort of go, actually, I actually quite enjoy doing this sort of different things because, you know, it isn't, to be honest, in, in terms of the arresting and searching side of things, it's actually quite low compared to what is actually out there. Um, so I guess that was the bit where I was sort of a bit like, surely it's just this, this and this, but it's not. It's so varied. And that's probably why it is such a, intriguing job at times um it wasn't probably until i went to so the way it sort of worked was you did like it's a two-year probation period i did a year on this on this neighborhood team you know i think i did all right i don't want to say i did that spectacular or anything like that i think i learned enough um especially early on um and then went off to uh basically like a cid almost so the investigating side of things and you know, initially I wasn't sort of too keen. Again, I wanted to be response team. I wanted to be in the cars and things like that. But again, sort of a vision where, you know, there's no point of arguing about it. That's the way it is. What can you make of it? What can you benefit from doing that? So going there, open mind. Okay, what is it? Tell me and I'll do it. Sort of attitude. And, you know, looking back on it, I would never go back there again. But at the time, the sort of, I guess, the added pressure... The, the caseloads that you had and the sort of the instance that you dealt with, it's, it almost became, I don't want to say an addiction, but it became sort of like, you know, I will get up and I will go and you're always sort of on the go. Your mind is constantly working. Um, it probably wasn't until I actually stopped doing it that I realised how sort of pressurising difficult it was once you get out of there. Um, you know, it would be sort of, you know, I think one week, I think I ended up doing sort of you know about 80 hours in six days and or five days and stuff like that and you're just like oh I need some sleep <laughs> really at the end of the day um you know starting shifts at like 1 p.m and finishing I think at one time I remember like um half five six o'clock in the morning and then because it was a quick changeover it was like oh you may be back in at nine so I'm like well can I not come in so I won't mention his name, but he's absolutely fine chap if he's listening. I don't think he will be, but there we go. 
um, I like messaging like, oh, I've just got home, I've just done this, I've just got this uh, like really good charge, I've done all this sort of paperwork for it. Um, you know, do I have to come in? And he went, well, it'd be nice for you to show your face. And I went, that's fine. It's giving me a bit of a leeway. So I can get like four hours kit, get out, get the train up. So got into working about 2 p.m. It was only like meant to be there for like three hours, but got there at two. The other DS has gone, what are you doing here? I went, well, uh, the other DS told me to come in. And he went, oh, he's not here either. And I was like, oh, okay, is that how it works? Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, stuff like that, you sort of go, oh, it's quite funny, but you know, like, it didn't really matter to me, to be honest, at that time. You know, if you're still in your probation period, you know, you do what you can to the maximum of your ability. If I turned around and said, look, there's no way I can get in, I'm too shattered, then I would have said, but I thought I can actually do that and get in. Um, yeah, so to, to sort of put, push on towards the, the night of the incident, um, fr from, from my point of view, um, I'd been to London in the November before. For the first time I'd ever been to London and done the the old sightseeing thing, which, you know, for yourself being a being a Londoner, you think that weirdo from up north, you know. Um so yeah, I'd just never really been to London. I'd flown in and out of London airports, but I'd never really took time to walk around. And I was lucky that um I went down and represented the fire service at the National Remembrance Parade as part of the um civil service contingent. So I'd got down there um in the obviously in the November, we went and had a walk across London Bridge and had a look at Parliament. And there's me and a guy from North Wales, neither has it ever been. We're walking around, sort of mouth open, staring at all the big buildings, and had a little bit of a walk around and stuff. And um, and then there was obviously the uh, initial sort of terror attack um, with the vehicle mounting the pavement. Um, and because I'd been there in the November before, it kind of resonated um, that oh, I'd walked up, up there, kind of thing. You know, I could sort of associate with it. And then obviously. Um, the night of your um, of your incident as well just kind of resonated, and I remember it quite well. Um, I think me and my wife were just getting ready to knock off and go to bed. I think am I right in thinking it'd been some football? I mean, it was Champions League final. Was it the same oh, night. Yeah. So yeah, in the London Bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, so we'd just finished watching it, and I just remember probably getting up to go to bed, and my phone flashed, and and then obviously we end up sitting up for about another hour watching sort of Sky News. So it. To you then, Charlie, you were off duty that night. What what were you actually doing that night? Why why were you in Borough Market? Yeah, so we, a few of us, um, I won't get too much of it, but a few of us like, did did a different shift that day. So it was sort of like a 10 till 6 or 10 till 7, one of the two. Um, and we, like, I mean, the person I was with, I mean, we had an absolute, sort of not, I wouldn't say a nightmare, but the stuff and stuff we were seeing and dealt with, although we weren't sort of involved in it as well, we were sort of like, watching it from afar almost you know sort of in that day but um i won't get into too much what it is but basically it was some stuff you sort of go oh yeah well that that's quite a you know a challenging day um and i think the other two that are on as well sort of had sort of a similar as well and you know it's, it's just basically as soon as someone says pub you're like oh yeah all right then um so um i actually changed that shift um i think it was either to go to um, mass karaoke the night before or it was I think it was the Champions Trophy I can't remember which one it was but I've basically been out two nights in a row or two days in a row sort of so that's why I changed to a later shift because I thought oh, I can like get a night's nice kit and stuff so yeah so I mentioned pub I was like oh, I just need to have that just need to go to the pub I'm not saying alcohol is the answer but you know it's just that sort of it's Saturday night we've got, we've got work Sunday late turn the next day yeah let's watch the Champions League football and 
nice, have a bit of sort of a, a debrief in the day or whatever. So met up with them three, and there was someone else. Yeah, these couple of these mates come down as well. So the pub we went to was just a bit further down from sort of London Bridge. It was more sort of the borough, borough area, basically, sort of towards the Elephant and Castle, and you know, had the beer, <laughs> seven pints or whatever it was. I think in the end. Um, you know, and then by that point, you know, the football's over. I had a £20 bet, I think, on corners and it didn't come through, so I was a bit annoyed. Um, so then, so we were sort of, uh, some people went, went, one person went like halfway through the game, someone went right at the end. I went probably about 10 minutes after that person. Um, and I think the other lot were just staying put for the time being. So I was just making my way back, um, you know, got plenty of time to get the train and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's nothing, you know, we, although that's sort of the area I work in as well, it's still somewhere I would go out. It's, it's not sort of a... So I know it obviously quite well. Um, so just sort of walking up and, you know, obviously my memory, I think, is slightly jaded to what actually happened, which I'll probably get into a bit later. But, you know, I just remember it being really empty, um, which I was quite surprised with. I know it's just slightly after the game had finished, but I thought, you know, Saturday night, London Bridge, June, I think it was quite nice that day. Um, I think the, the racing had been on as well. A lot of people said about the racing being on. So, yeah, I just thought it would be a bit busier. So, walking up the road, um, I pretty much everywhere I go, I will have earphones in. Um, and on this occasion, I think they were in my locker. I just didn't have them on me. So, just walking up normally, it's a bit surreal not having earphones in. And then just coming up towards uh, sort of this, like the, the rail bridge over by, by the bridge itself, um, I've just pretty much just heard someone say, help, I've been stabbed. And so my initial reaction is, oh, I'm going to have to do something about this. Oh, no, I can't, it was almost like a thing that, okay, I can't, I might not be able to do anything, but at least I can stand there and be like, okay, he's been injured here, there, wait for the police, wait for the ambulance to turn up, and then be like, off I go, pretty much. Um, so I had to run over to the other side of the road. Um, I believe this person survived. I'm not too sure. Um, but it looks like, from what I can see, that he's got a stab wound in the arm. Now, again, a bit cynical, bit sort of, you know, uh, it's London Bridge, it's a Saturday night, the football's just finished. Either, yeah, there might have been one, or he's fallen over onto a glass, he's been glassed, something like that as well again probably just a bit immune from you know some of the stuff we deal with so someone's given him sort of first aid on the floor just basically putting pressure on the wound i sort of basically i've run over there and this girl just basically hands her a phone and it's dialing 999 so i'm sort of on the phone and pretty much keep it quite basic mouse been stabbed outside uh the opposite pret Borough high street police and amateur quiet just that's it that's all they need to know at that stage. And then, for whatever reason, I thought, ah, oh, if I call 999, it's going to come up that I'm a police officer. Because <laughs> I've never had to call 999 before. Never thought, why would I call 999? I don't need to. Um, and I think I said the same thing. Or I think, actually, no, I think it was, I dialed it, and then that's when uh, the British Transport Police officers came over. So um, Wayne and Leon, they came over. Um, I've sort of just got my warrant card out and said, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm off duty. Your police and have been called. This guy's been stabbed, pretty much. And then 
within a few seconds, probably about you know 20, 30 meters up the road, just heard some shouting and then what appeared to be some sort of scrap. So again, this is probably from my, my memory. What I still see happening or what I still believe happening was you know, Wayne went, Leon went, and then I went behind them. And then just in a sort of position where it was like, oh, we're trying to sort of break up a fight almost. So even at that point, I had no idea what was going on. And I think Wayne Leon feel the same as well. I had no idea what was going on. So I've gone into the group. Um, and I'm just sort of pushing people away. I don't really know who they are, sort of thing. And then um, I remember sort of seeing a high vis, um, which I think was would have been Wayne, sort of in the distance. And he is just, he's got his baton out, his ass belt, and he is just whacking someone, which I was like, go on, son, get involved. Um, <laughs> and, then for, and then just suddenly, you know, I sort of remember sort of, Again, I could have hit anyone. I don't know who was who, really, in that situation. It was just a case of trying to push people back. Um, and then just, just it seemed like in an instant, just, you know, whether it's two or three of them, just like knives in the hand, these sort of vest things on as well, and like going, oh, and straight away thinking, hmm, this is different. Um, and sort of, it was weird. I sort of remember this, like even quite now, like thinking about it. Just this sort of, almost it seemed like a stare, like for a couple, two or three seconds, and then they sort of came towards me and sort of remember, um, you know, we like I said sort of that officer safety earlier. We get taught certain ways, and you know, I remember that sort of uh, stance coming out, like, ha like hands up, thumbs in, trying to like keep your arms up. Um, you know, if you want to protect your abdomen. Um, you know, if it gets you get stabbed in the arms, it, it doesn't really matter almost to a certain point. So, you know, they I think they sort of lunged at me a few times, and then first time uh, the geezer got me in the back, and I was like, initially I was like, oh, like you know, he's got me, that sort of thing. Um, and then I, I don't know which one it would have been. Then I got hit again in the back, and. You know, and then pretty much after that point, it just seemed like one, two, three, like right after each other, like across the face. So I've got one sort of um, above my left eye, one on my right eye, and one on the back of my neck. Um, and then I seem to remember sort of falling on the floor at that point. Um, you know, just sort of like, like my adrenaline's gone, all sort of like, I guess fight's gone a bit. And then it was pretty much a case of, lying on the floor and going, well, you know, I still remember this quite clearly. I mean, it doesn't upset me or anything, but I still remember this quite clearly. Like, I'll close my eyes and it's either going to be one in the chest or it's going to be one in the head to sort of like finish me off, as it were. Um, but just before, I think I was sort of waiting for it and then I sort of just tilted my head to like the left and sort of almost like tried to play dead, as it were. Um, and then... I don't know how long, it, it wasn't too long, but we're talking about 10, 15 seconds here. Just had this sort of idea or some sort of feeling that they weren't there anymore. Um, and so at that point, you know, I then sort of thought about, okay, I'm alive here. We're not going out like this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so okay, I was saying about, this is what I remember. So, but I've actually seen this happen 
on camera. So obviously the local sort of CCTV and, you know, it was sort of like, do you want to see it? And I was like, yes, I do. Mm. Like sort of this weird, you know, you want to see it because you want to know if what you think is true and how it all sort of played out. And it is very similar. I guess the only real difference is from watching it on camera, you know, I get stabbed twice in the back and you can see sort of like the blood like trickling out from the back, which, you know, seeing yourself get stabbed is weird. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Um, if I'm honest. Um, but then I sort of like just dropped straight on my ass. Um, luckily, I wasn't as fat then, as we mentioned earlier. Um, I was like marathon fit and all this sort of stuff as well by then. Um, and then whilst I'm sat on the floor, the, he's just one of them just basically comes up from behind me and it's just I'm sat on the floor and he goes bang, 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 like one, two, three on my head. And you can see me sort of like I walk like, you know, bloody hell, he's been stabbed in the head three times. Um, and then, like, Wayne and Leon are sort of, like, trying to drag me out, like, obviously get me away from them, and then I'm still kicking out of them. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why well, don't I want to ask for more? Um, so that, in, in sort of, like, a, I don't want to say, like, sort of, I don't know, not really sort of a selfish way or sort of, like, a like fair play for kicking out of them. <laughs> like, you can pat yourself on the back and go, like, at least you're still going, even if I don't really remember doing it. Um, and yeah, that, that captures me sort of playing dead. And when I watched it, I was like, I, I look dead. I look completely dead. I don't know how, no wonder why they went away. I, I just look completely dead, really. So, um, so do you think, do you think that's why they went away? They thought they'd, they thought they killed you? I mean, potentially, um, the fact that they got me that time, you know, you know, obviously this stuff come out that they were like, obviously on a lot of drugs and things like that. They probably didn't know entirely what was going on. It was just a case of let's just get as many as possible. And then, you know, we know we're going to die. We're going to get shot just we'll get as many in so it could have been a mixture it could have just been oh, we'll move on to the next person sort of thing um but yeah i was just saying so i sort of was on the floor and then at that point i was like well you know i'm still alive here so i'm just gonna sort of like just do what i can um so i thought if i lay on my back if i lay on my belly you know it sort of exposes my wounds in the back all the blood that was sort of be around my face can just almost like a nosebleed just come out sort of thing. And I was like, well, obviously there's going to be loads of people here soon. You know, at that point you can turn around and go, well, this isn't gangs. This isn't sort of a fight. This is terrorists are doing this. Um, so it was almost that sort of lucky. I knew what the job was like. So I knew there, there is going to be a lot of people here soon. So just sort of keep calm, you know, wait, you know, I could, the biggest thing for me, and I think still is, is that I could move my legs because obviously where I've been stabbed in the back could have easily affected my spine. Um, I do remember sort of being able to see, um, although it obviously was a lot of blood, you know, I remember sort of the light reflecting on the amount of blood that was on the floor and sort of being like, well, at least I can see, I can mm. still talk. Um, and I guess I was just sort of lucky in a way that um, Justin and Ellen, who just pretty much as members of the public didn't know him at the time, came over um, you know, I said to Justin, I was like, Justin, well, obviously I didn't know his name at the time, but I was like, Justin, just put your knee on my back so you can like stem the flow of bleeding. And, then, and I was like, just call the police. Then. Obviously, it's a bit more sort of erratic than this, but nicely put is, yeah, you can, you just call the police. And I was like, can you just call one of my mates as well? And I was like, well, who should I call? I was like, uh, can you just call Katie for me, please? Again, putting this in a very sort of like, not <laughs> way or aggressive way. And then, uh, so she sort of friends like, okay, 
puts the phone next to me and then I just lose it completely. Like, just like in terms of like shock. I was like, Kate, hey, I've just been stabbed by some fucking terrorists. <laughs> and then she took the phone away. I was like, yeah, fair enough. That's fine. And then it was just a sort of, I don't know, it, it wasn't that long. Again, it was probably like two or three minutes before I started hearing sirens. At that point, um, police turn up and then they're like, I swear, they were like, who are you with? And I was just shouting at people with shoulder numbers, you know, and things. And that's what I remember. I don't think it did happen, but I was just remember shouting at shoulder numbers thinking, oh, they know I'm, that means they'll know I'm a police officer and things like that. Um, and then a couple of other people turned up, got wrapped, got bandaged up around my back, um, got bandaged up around my head, I think a bit. And then whilst they were sort of bandaging up my head, that's when we could hear sort of the gunshots going off. You know, they were quite distant in terms of, because obviously a lot of other things were going on with me. Um, so they're telling people to run away and, you know, Justin then is staying there, you know, easily they could have gone, but they didn't, which again, sort of, you sort of got a call from that. And they have thankfully been like sort of recognized for that as well, which is even better to hear. Um, yeah, and it was just okay, I've, I've done a, just, they just basically went, look, there's no point in an ambulance coming because they're not going to come in when there's gunshots going off. Again, that we know that. So just put me in the back of this uh, unmarked police car. And then um, I won't mention his name, but I like, did save my life, so I'm not going to ever go him too much. But And he knows this as well. But um, he was like, yeah, let's go to Guy's Hospital. It's literally just down the road from London Bridge. And uh, I said, and in my back of my mind, I'm going, Guy's doesn't have an A&E, Guy's doesn't have an A&E. But I thought, I'm not in a position to argue. We'll go where we want to. It's fine. So we've turned up at guys, and I remember them sort of getting me half out the car, and then basically someone just going, "There's no doctors here. There's no one here." And then um, I was like, "Well, I do that." So they've um, put me back in. They said we're going to Kings, so Kings College Hospital. I went, "Okay, that's fine." I know sort of how far away that is on a blue light run. Um, and on the way there, I don't know whether it was a mixture of the drink, the shot, the pain, adrenaline. I was like. Sorry, everyone, just got to be sick. So I was sick in like the footwell down there. And then as we went around, I think it must have been the Elephant and Castle roundabout. Obviously, I'm sort of laid down in the back of the car trying to get supported in still. I've then fallen down that same footwell. So now I'm covered in blood and covered in stick and everything like that. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? Um, got to Kings, like, obviously, very quickly after that. Um, you know, I don't think they were fully aware of what was really going on at that stage. I know it was more a case that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people here quite quickly as well. I mean, there's there's obviously St. Tommy's in that area as well, but it was going to be a case of, you know, there's going to be more. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 in a sort of, in a weird way, I can sort of laugh about those sort of things because they, it just makes me laugh. I don't know why it probably shouldn't. Um, but at the point where they took me out of that car at the hospital, and you know, I'm not a religious person or anything like that, but you know, I saw like the lights of the hospital and I was like, this better be just the hospital. Because I think it was at that point, it's like if I can get to the hospital, I'll, I know I'll be fine. And yeah, so they obviously were just doing what they needed to. Um, I think it was a, I don't know how this came about, but you know, I mentioned my training earlier and um basically one of the persons who was in my class was at the hospital and he came and sat with me for about an hour and 
you know, just sort of, I mean, I've, I've had a little discussion with him about what we're talking about. And he's like, you're talking so much shit. It's unbelievable. I thought, are you not surprised? That's me normally. And that's also what is going to happen to you after something major like that's happened. So, you know, coincidence, wherever it is, you know, someone I knew was there. Um, and it was only really at that point they went, oh, he's a police officer. So, obviously, my friend Katie's been made aware, so he's obviously let my friends know. And then it was a case of trying to contact my parents and my sister, and they were at a party. Um, and there was loads, well, I don't know the full story, but there was loads of, like, sort of trying to track them and things like that. Obviously, our surname's quite unique, so there's not many of us all around. Um, so they were in a party, I think, in, like, sort of East Grinstead way, which is, like, Sussex way. And then they just basically end up getting the call, I think, from one of my cousins. And it was just a case they just drove to the hospital from there, really. Um, again, it was sort of, they didn't really know, like the hospital didn't really know at that point what was going to happen. Um, you know, they were saying about, oh, yeah, we're going to do this surgery on you and things like that. And I went, get on with it. Again, in a nice, polite way, can you sign this form? Just get on with it. Okay, I'll sign it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um so yeah, I think even at that point they just weren't entirely sure. Again, don't know sort of the damages and things like that. Um, and then and then woke up. Well, I think I woke up very very briefly on the Tuesday. So this happened on the Saturday night. They woke up very briefly on the Tuesday, and then Wednesday was when I was sort of properly awake. So I was obviously put in an induced coma in that situation. Um, but yeah, sort of waking up, and I remember seeing on the Wednesday, seeing my mum and dad there. And then, and then I can't remember who said it. But like, oh, what do you want? I went, uh, my phone and a can of Coke. So I went, oh, he must be fine. You know, sort of thing like that. And then um, I think like probably on the Thursdays when I sort of was really a bit, I won't, say, I won't say with it, but, you know, a bit more sort of aware of what was going on. Yeah. So in, in terms of injuries, then obviously stab, stab wounds to the back, um, is is an extremely serious injury so you know did you ever sort of get the full story of the injuries that you did sustain um during the attack um so i mean quite i mean to be honest fortunately like if we talk about the head stuff first i think it was only about sort of like 19 stitches which you know I still got scars from it but you would think there'd be much more than where it was again you know the one um on my head is sort of like you know, just across the base of the forehead. And there's a small one sort of on the right side of my eye, which again, you know, I think, well, that could have been in your in your eyes quite easily. Um, and again, on the one on the back of the neck could have been more in the skull. It, it's just, it's fortunate in some ways. Um, but yeah, the ones in the back, again, missed the spine. Um, they had to take my spleen out. Um, and then when they told me that afterwards, I was like, what's a spleen? So it wasn't like anything I... I knew, I knew it was gone. So I was like, well, okay, well, does it, do I need it to live? No, not really. It's some drugs. I went, well, that's fine. Um, I think I had a slight sort of thing to the kidney initially. Um, so they sort of went, they couldn't get access from the back just because of the amount of blood I'm assuming. So they went, did a big old slice up the top of the belly, opening up that way, and then sort of done what they needed to through that. Um, so in terms of that initial sort of surgeries was actually not too bad. I had chest strains in, you know, I had the, the great morphine button that there is, you get it every 10 minutes, which was a joy. Um, you know, obviously various other painkillers and things like that. So 
you know, I guess initially it wasn't really that bad, to be honest. I mean, I only spent, for that, for that level of injury, spent 13 days in hospital. Um, and, you know, I, I just attribute that to obviously luck, first thing. But, you know, I had just done the marathon, what, four, four or five weeks beforehand. And so I was like in the prime. Uh, it's probably the fittest I've ever been in my life, which, you know, I do sort of attribute to being able to survive that level of injury. You know, your body can recover when it runs several miles a day and, and things like that. So, you know, although it was sort of like all that effort and now I've just lost like five and a half in hospital, but like, I was like, you know, even things like that, you know, if I was, was I was before, I no chance, no chance. I don't think, I don't think I've been able to get through it at all. So, you know. So, so obviously, they, I'm just going to get the gravity of the situation because this is just crazy. So, obviously, serious injuries, induced coma, all that type of stuff. At what point then did you kind of come to terms with what had just actually happened to you? Because um, I would imagine everything's so adrenaline pumped and then it's, uh, I need this doing and I'm in hospital, I've got this more. And then at what point does that kind of decompressing you think, wow, that's just, that's just really happened? Um, so... You know, I mean, I, I look at this throughout just like you're alive. That's 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 the biggest award. That's the biggest achievement ever. Like that's not going to top anything else. Um, you know, I could, you know, people, basically they won't let you out of hospital if you can't shit, can't walk, can't feed yourself. Basically, that's that's the three things. So by that day 13, I was you know able to walk. I wasn't sad. I was sort of like incapable, but you know, obviously it was a much bigger difference, you know, even not standing up for 10 days, you know, it's going to have a little effect on your body. Um, so at that time I was still living with my parents, obviously I obviously had care at home as well. Um, still had sort of the bandages on from all the surgery and they just had to be changed, which I could do myself you know, every couple of days. Um, and then whilst I mean, whilst we were, whilst I was in hospital, I think this was on that Thursday, um, you know, some of my friends from work come in, they said, what do you want? And I said, oh, a Glastonbury ticket would be all right. So this was about three weeks before Glastonbury, so I didn't have one. And then they wrote to Glastonbury, Glastonbury sent back something saying, oh, yes, we can give you a ticket. So I was like, that's great, but I probably won't be able to go. And then, so I came out on the Friday, I think by the Tuesday, and then the Gatsby was starting that weekend, I was like, I can go. I can probably fine. And so obviously my parents were a bit like, are you sure? You know, and I was like, yes, I'll be fine. So managed to sort of con our way, basically, not con, police officer, not con, but basically we asked to stay in a and b and they said, yes, we've got room. Um, so I was like, I'm not staying in a tent, I'll go in a and b So went to a and b and then... I was like, well, if I go, don't like it, or I can't handle it, I'll go home. Simple. So I managed to survive all Glastonbury, which was amazing. Um, you know, seeing the Foo Fighters for the first time, 16 years overdue, seeing them for the first time, but yeah, saw them for the first time. And came back, and then probably, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> about three days after that, oh, something's not right here. Um, basically, there was this huge pain in my back, um, you know, sort of a bit like, well, what's, what could that be like? And basically what had happened is, um, you know, arguments aside, it wasn't because of Glastonbury, but I think, you know, there was obviously so much surgery and so much sort of effect on the body that 
Um, basically, I just developed a chest infection, and that has sort of worked its way down to my lower back, really. So went to the doctors, or so I went to the doctors originally, then it was like, oh, we'll just go to King's because they said, like, if you need anything, come back. So I went back, and then, you know, the initial thing was sort of, oh, yeah, we'll probably just have another surgery, drain it out, and then we'll send you on your way. Because I had sort of been leaking a bit from just my wounds, but I thought, what do, what do you expect after sort of something like that? Um, and then it was just a case of, well, we don't really know how this is, why this is happening, where this is happening. Um, you know, I wasn't sort of ill in any way, um, but it was just, there was this, all this fluid that was coming from somewhere and things like that. And um, I then spent another eight weeks, I believe it was in hospital after that point. So yeah, that, that was, that was pretty much my, my summer that year. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, you sort of get to a point where you're like, you know, am I even going to, when am I going to get out of here? Because I think the, I mean, obviously like, you know, the fact that they kept up with me for eight weeks, fair enough, like that's a job in itself, but, you know, looking after me for that long, you know, I was, yeah, okay, there was times I was obviously frustrated with like not being able to get out, which I'm guessing is understandable, but, you know, they were so good to me. They were so sort of, you know, understanding and things like that um but i guess again sort of the funny side of it would be i was in a ward that was for people who were having like sort of heart heart bypasses like triple heart bypasses and they're like yeah i'm having surgery tomorrow then i'm going in two days i'm like you're having a triple heart bypass and i've just got like fluid coming out myself you know and it was just sort of be like i can still walk around i can still do what i need to but i just can't leave and i think that was sort of the hardest part for me um, but at the end of the day, I went, look, if you go out in two weeks beforehand, look, stay here for as long as it needs to, so you don't have to come back again, was sort of my yeah. sort of feelings around that. Um, and yeah, like, so at the end of August, they let me out, let, let me out, I wasn't a prisoner, but you know what I mean, they sort of discharged me. I still had um, a few, like, bits and bobs on me, and then within a couple of weeks, that was all gone. And then sort of on my last... Um, I guess last appointment, they went, well, I mean, you're, you're, I was in what, 24, 25 at the time. So they would turn around and say, oh, you, you, you're young, you're fit, you've just done the marathon. You go out and you do as much exercise as you feel like you can. And I went, yeah, fair enough. Um, so then I thought, let's do the marathon again. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much from, you know, I, went, I guess probably like end of October, start of November, and then until April was sort of just focused marathon, get fit, really. Yeah. Um, so when was the first? Oh, right. So obviously you won the George Medal for bravery, which you absolutely deserve. Um, wh- how do you find out you're winning one of these awards? Is it like a, a phone call? Do you get a letter? Uh, telegram? Does a pigeon land with it? What, what happens? Yeah. So I think when we first got the news, I think I just moved out just a place as well. Um, and then sort of the letter came to obviously my parents' address. So that's phoned me up and said, you know, got his letter here, looks official. Um, do you want me to open it? I went, yeah, all right then. And it was like, oh yeah, you see, you've been nominated to get the, the George Medal. I was like, okay. Like, I, you don't really know what to really say because it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, when I grow up, I want to get the George Medal. 
you know, it's it's not really sort of in that sort of context, is it? You just go, okay, well, they are at Buckingham Palace, really. Um, you know, people have said stuff before, like, oh yeah, you'll probably get this, that, and the other, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't really matter, to be honest, what I get, really. Um, so yeah, we we managed. So that was how it came through. It just came through as a letter, um, and then there was um, obviously a bit of sort of like a press release around that as well. Um, so when they actually released it, I was in Benicassim at the festival there. So I was like, <laughs> hey, we have to stay up, everyone, until like it hits <laughs> like midnight in the UK. So it's all official then. Let's do some stuff beforehand. Um, so yeah, that was that was how that sort of all came about, and then I guess the actual ceremony itself. Um, we were quite fortunate that one of my cousin's friends actually worked that entire sort of department really, and he was like, "Oh, I can get you more tickets if you want." Yes, please. I'm not going to say no. So yes, please get some more there. Um, so it's like who you know sort of thing. So um, yeah, so it ended up being. Parents and my grandparents as well come in. Um, you know, my sister was oh, she would have been heavily pregnant at the time, and then she had a she has a um, elder one as well. So it was sort of how are we going to manage them? Are they like is he going to be able to be? He was pretty much three or four, I think he'd been three or four at the time. Um, yeah, he's not going to want to go there and sort of sit through it. Um, and obviously, she was like pregnant now, I believe at the time so yeah that's why they I know I think she would have just had Elsie actually thinking about it so um yeah that's why they 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 were invited um obviously by that point me and me Wayne and Leon had like known each other for quite a bit now um so we were sort of like the three amigos like in the in the thing like waiting for it okay this is weird isn't it like what, what don't do this oh, hope I don't fall over hope I don't trip over you know, um, you know, trying to see who else is in the room, be like, oh, do we know anyone else or anything like that? So I guess in our own way, we sort of try to, I guess, downplay it maybe slightly. Um, I think that's just a nerves thing as well, more than anything, you know, to all go, okay, like, if we can like laugh, joke around, we're not sort of sat there, like, we must be worried, this, that, and the other. And I was like, look, it's just all relaxed. It's only going to happen once. I'm sure it'd be fine. Um, and we were like one of the last songs, so again, sort of more waiting, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, we were sort of chewing up, and then there was like this other sort of couple there, uh, male and female. And um, some just turned around and went to me, "Oh, that's Ignacio's um, mum and dad." And he was one of the one. He was actually he got the George Medal as well, like posthumously. Um, he had actually come into the same sort of, I guess, ruck as us. But obviously, unfortunately, died, and you know they started tearing up, and I thought at that point was like, oh, this, you know, I don't like to sort of like compare like things, but I was like, well, this means nothing really, does it? To be honest, for me, because you know what really matters is that I can see my parents and my grandparents, and they're sort of, you know, although yes, there is that nice gesture to it, it doesn't replace what they've lost, and I think at that point was like, oh, this is like. You know, for me, like sort of laughing and joking about it, it's actually can be something really serious. And I guess, like, again, it's, it's how you sort of want to view it. You you can't be sort of, you know, 
feel guilt. I mean, it's difficult really to really explain it, but yeah, you just sort of oh, well, this actually means a lot to other people rather than just it mean to you. As yeah, well. yeah. It might come across as quite selfish, but yeah, it was just a bit of an eye opener, I guess, that one. Yeah. Did you receive your medal from the Queen? Did she, or was it someone else? Because uh, I know she doesn't do it all the time, does she? Yeah. So on the there, it didn't say who was doing it. Um, so they were saying that, oh yeah, it's going to be this, that, and the other. And then I think it was actually on the day they went, yeah, the Queen's doing it. I was like, oh okay, so we have got the main events. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, people are like, oh yeah, she doesn't do this much. You know, she only does it for special occasions and. I guess that was sort of like, you know, I was like, let's prepare for the Queen. And if there's anything, I guess, a lower rank, then so be it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, was, it was expected in my mind, but we didn't know until the day, actually, that that was who was going to be presenting us. With them. Did, did she have anything to say to you, did she? Now, I... Oh, do you want it to stay between you and Queenie? It's fine. But, like, <laughs> I just think she said something... Like, oh, so you were just out that night then, you know, really sort of like, that's how I would think almost. And, um, you know, at that point, because there was sort of a little like, you know, you get your name gets announced and that was, that was what I was, I was like, if they get my name wrong, that's just going to ruin it. They got it perfect, um, which was good. And then you sort of have a little walk, little turn, and then walk three steps and you sort of stay where she is. She's on a little platform as well and then sort of like puts it on you almost um but yeah i just think she says i'm like oh so you just had that night and then i'm sort of like Like, it's the queen (laughs) in front of me um and then she just said like like thank you for your bravery um i think she said like who's here she's like my parents and grandparents are here things like that and then off you go and then at that point it's just sort of a oh you can get your breath back and sort of be like oh that has just happened almost and then obviously there was sort of like press and photos and things like that afterwards as well but um i then had to go to we were then had to go to city hall straight afterwards because there was um the Mar- the london marathon were presenting some awards as well and i was like by the time i got there i was like oh i'm absolutely shattered just from like, obviously the, the the event itself and sort of I guess the nerves that wasn't coming out and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, you got to go here. And I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll get through this eventually. Um, so I guess my, well, my focus wasn't like, oh, the day itself. It was like, let's go to the next one, really. So I guess in part, maybe, yeah. you know, it might have been a benefit actually, I think, going to the other one because then it's sort of like, okay, that's happened now, move on almost. Mm. So life changes. Uh, pretty much after this one one question uh, i had to bring up because my son pestered me when i was doing some research into you, charlie before uh, we came on i found a video of you and triple h um <laughs> and my son were like uh, dad can, dad can i come on a podcast and ask about triple h i was like not really son you kind of you kind of spoiling the vibe a little bit but um so obviously getting to me uh triple h uh, for those who may not know he is he's a, a wwe wrestler who's been around for a long 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 time uh, even when i used to watch wrestling when i was a kid um we also saw you make appearances on daytime tv programs and stuff like that uh what what was that like then um suddenly all this attention and accolade and stuff like that so um you know i said before that like, obviously life's like being alive's like the biggest thing 
but very close second is that WWE belt. Um, yes, it does take preference. It is the thing like there was a fire. That's the thing that's going. <laughs> um, so again, this was you know just you know just how you sort of get lucky at finding such good friends and colleagues is just unremarkable. Again. You know, there was a few of us sort of like on our team who were like, yeah, we love wrestling. Everyone's like, oh, the people who like wrestling. I was like, fair enough. Um, so we've been to like a couple of events. And again, just sort of contacting WWE, just saying like, oh, you know, this has happened. You know, at the time I was wearing um, Sami Zayn. So he's one of the wrestlers for WWE. Um, just wearing his shirt, not for any reason, just because I was. Um, so I think that's sort of how they sort of then went, okay, let's put two and two together. And... So obviously my parents knew, everyone else knew. I didn't know what was happening. So this was only about three days after I initially came out of hospital. So after that 13 days, and I think this was actually the first day I've actually managed to sleep like quite well and had a nap during the day. And my dad's like, well, we've got to go to this thing now. And I was like, moody. No, I, I can be quite moody sometimes. Um, and that, that one I was quite moody for. Um and he said, oh, I was in Kensington, it's in the hotel, but I'm not going to tell you anything else. And I was like, if this is anything to do with the Met, I'm leaving immediately because I'm not in the mood. Um, the only other thing I thought it could have been was, because I'm a Chelsea fan, before I bring that up, as it was in Kensington, I thought, oh, maybe it's something to do with Chelsea. But then I thought, oh, no, it's pre-season. So, or well, they're on their holidays. I wasn't sort of, I wasn't, I didn't really have a clue, to be honest. Um so they had a car come and pick us up, sat down in this hotel, spoke, spoke, to, um, spoke to one of their team again. He was basically like, do you know why you're here? I went, I have no idea. And then, well, we won't keep you for too much longer. And then just sort of just see like these two cameras. And then oh, I was like, bad hell, it's Triple H, isn't it? Like, <laughs> sort of like that sort of got me out of my sort of mood that I was in. Um, and then sort of just like, I mean, like, they do a lot. Like, I don't want to sort of say, like, they do a lot. They do, like, Make-A-Wish. They do sort of all these events, like anti-bullying, um, you know, big thing on, like, sort of women's rights and all that sort of stuff as well. They do a lot of sort of extra community stuff. Um, but I was like, but there's no wrestling on in the UK at the moment. <laughs> like, why, why, almost like, why are you here? Almost. Um but yeah, we sat in a chat with him for a good like 35 minutes. Um, so Sami Zayn, the wrestler, did like a sort of personalised video for me as well, which was which was really nice. And then just sort of his merchandise. And I was like, oh, that's convenient because the one that I was wearing is now covered in blood and it's been obviously cut in half because when they took it off. So I was like, well, that's good. I need that one back. Um, and then, yeah, presenting me with the belt. Um, you know, yes, I still watch it now at 28 years old, but hey got to do something at least it's live sport that's on the tv at the moment um yeah been a been a lifelong fan since childhood and you know jokings aside i was like oh, i wish i was wearing stone cold steve austin shirt <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you know like a jumper some trousers like gloves or whatever some other people you know get more involved but um no again, for them to take the time out to do that in sort of like quite a busy schedule um yeah it sort of threw me away i think that was sort of a big drive in terms of like you know especially going back in the hospitals like oh, i've had glastonbury and i've also had this sort of happen as well yeah um, you know i had sort of um a lion shirt signed i had chelsea shirt signed and you know they seem like 
quite little things, I guess, in context, but they make such a difference. Um, yeah. Yeah, to know that obviously this isn't, you know, I guess it is luck at the end of the day. You know, if it had just been a fight, this situation, and I got injured, maybe not to the same extent, no, would have gone to work the next day probably, going, why did you get involved off duty when you were pissed? You know, but just the circumstances just ended up for this to happen, you know, and, you know, for something that happened that took a minute, if that, it's now giving you all this and almost to a certain extent, you're like, I don't feel like I've really earned this. Well, you know, people campaign for their entire life for change, who work for charities their entire life would get maybe some recognition, maybe not as much. But then you're sort of like, you just were an idiot and ran into terrorists. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you shouldn't be getting all this stuff. So, you know, it's, it's weird. It still is, you know, quite weird. Obviously, you sort of, you know, in all the initial stuff that was happening, you know, it was just a case of that this is ever, this is only ever going to happen once. Just go with it. So, yeah. the most sort of, like bizarre, I think. Even I think the most bizarre thing was the Pride of Britain because it was just like, I know everyone from the TV here, uh, <laughs> and um, even at that stage, I think it was still quite in the public domain. But obviously, that year there was so much that happened. You know, it was sort of. You know, it's just like, well, yeah, this has happened to me, but I'm still here, and you know, we've had. You know, the Westminster Bridge attack, we've had Brentford, we've had, um, I think, Finsbury Park and Parsons Green would have been that year as well. Um, apologies if I'm missing any others. Um, but, yeah, quite sort of terror-related or you know, obviously with the fire as well. Mm. Like, really big events happened that year. I think uh, Manchester Arena was 2017. Oh, yeah, Manchester. Sorry. Yeah, apologies for missing that one. That was, you know, that was two weeks before... London Bridge, pretty much. Um, you know, so I think that was what, as well, like sort of how can why is, how is this happening again? It just happened three months ago, like literally up the road, and now it's and it happened two weeks ago. I was like, that's why even more sort of like how can it happen so many times in a row? But um, yeah, you just sort of just go like, oh, this is a bit weird, but just smile and look like happy, and you, you you'll be fine and get through it. Um, yeah. Well, to, to, to be honest, Charlie, I, I think you deserve everything that you get. If, if I'm honest, it would be so easy to. Obviously, you weren't fully aware of what was going off, but even like somebody claiming to be stabbed, and I know it's not in the mindset of a police officer, uh, of a firefighter, of a paramedic, anybody like that who's off duty. It, it kind of don't even come into your psyche. But it would have been quite easy just to have just turned a blind eye and just carried on walking to train, you know, seven pints deep on a night out with your mates thinking, you know, I've had a shit day at work. I don't need to get involved in this. I'm just going to, you know, some people with them, I'm just going to do kind of my own thing. You know, it would have been just as easy to do that. Um, and I think the way that you approach it with humor and sort of humility and, um, and that way is just uh, incredible. And I, I genuinely think that you deserve everything that you've got for, for what you did that night. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, this is something that me, Liam, Wayne, and obviously spoken with other people about. It was a case of like, you know, if you would you feel worse if you just sort of walk past it? Like, obviously, you know, we talk about fight or flight. Um, freeze is also including that. 
and also film is included in that as well nowadays for people filming stuff um which yes is obviously, you know why are they doing that um but you know there's there's so many sort of even just from that night there's so many sort of stories of people you know doing certain things and it is a sort of a case of well you know some people like some people went to that like people who work at Suburb went to that you know they saw all these things happen they saw the people injured they saw the people they couldn't help they you know the unknown of obviously what was going to happen um you know some of them pretty much came face to face with it um you know i won't mention his name but like one of them basically after the armed police had shot him jumped on him potentially with an exploding vest on now some of them i guess have been recognized but obviously you sort of go I think everyone has been sort of officially recognised in some way, but then you sort of go, well, there's there's my story, yes. There's Leon's story, yes. There's Wayne's story, yes. There's the stories of so many other people out there, and you sort of again, you know, try and be like, okay, well, that yeah, that did happen to me. Yes, I have got this, this, and this, but no, there's still other things happened on that, just not that night. And you think about, you know, obviously yourself being a firefighter, you know, you're going to burning buildings, like not every day, but, you know, you're going to burning buildings and try and save people that way. It's, you know, we, you know, deal with protests. We deal with other incidents. You know, we've had Streatham and London Bridge recently in, in the Met as well. So these are sort of everyday acts of heroism that sort of get lost a bit under the radar, I guess it would be. Um, but again, it's just circumstances. The fact that it was a terrorist event, the fact that, you know, I didn't know it was that and just got involved. As I said, if it was just a fight, no one would have known anything about it. But someone might be like, oh, it's really, like, good work. Like, well done. Stop the fight. Not, oh, well done, you got stabbed and you died and, like, <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Um, just circumstances, really. Um, yeah. But, again, you sort of go, well, bit of luck, bit of unluck, you know, that sort of thing as well. So, you know, I think... It's important, though, to, you know, not just sort of that situation, but any real situation where you, and as much as you might not like it, you have to accept that that's what's happened unless you accept how things might be different now, I guess. Um, you know, we sort of talk about like trauma and PTSD and all that sort of stuff. And I think I've been quite lucky in terms of that, but I'm always aware that it could be a possibility. Yes, I'm not saying it's all been sort of um, Rosie and all that sort of stuff. Yes, there have been some difficult times. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I would say it was probably the, the worst, but I managed to sort of, you know, put the flat I'm in, you know, changed a few things that I needed to at the time um, and just sort of not taking it away from Chumbo Wamba too much. But if I get knocked down, I get back up again as well, really. And that's what you sort of have to keep doing, really. Um, but yeah, I just sort of look at the positives from that and sort of try and take them on board as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, could, I don't think I could have picked a better guest to sort of round this little series up of, of five. And uh, all I'd say, Charlie, uh, thanks for getting back to me when I just uh, appeared in your Instagram DMs randomly at like half past 10 one night. It's like, yeah, hey, you know, I'm some bloke from Yorkshire and I've got this idea. Do you fancy coming on and talking to me? Because uh, I do realise sometimes when I send these DMs out or messages, people are saying, who the hell's this guy? And uh, <laughs> why is he Why is he bothering me and wanting me time? So um, where can people find you then, Charlie, if they want to sort of follow you, follow you from, from here on in? Um, so... 
Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is all pretty much um, Charlie Ginnigal GM because I put GM in my name because I got it and I'm allowed to put it on there. It's on my passport as well, so that's officially my name. I'm going to stick by that, not that I'm voting about it at all. <laughs> Mate, you should absolutely stick by it and absolutely gloat about it. I'd have it sewn on my jammers. I'd have replicas for my tracksuits. I'd be covered in it. <laughs> uh, so that kind of brings us to an end of episode five. Uh, a big thanks to everybody who has got in touch with me over recent times to say how much I'm enjoying the series. If this is the first time because uh, you're a friend of Charlie, so you've just tuned in for this, please go back and listen to the other episodes. There's some amazing story from all the guys. Um, I'm going to take a couple of weeks rest, mainly because I'm back at work on Monday. Uh, so I'm going to take a couple of weeks, uh, weeks rest, gather some uh, more guests together, and I'll bring season two um, out in the coming weeks. So um, a big thanks to everybody who has tuned in. Please uh, leave me a five-star review uh, from the Start Podcast on whatever podcast things you get it off, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I've just literally carpet bombing social media. Um, and a massive thanks to Charlie for his for his time on this uh, sort of Saturday evening Um uh, mate, honestly, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you, and I'm glad I did reach out to you. And um, and I'll be uh, sort of keeping an eye from a from a distance. It'd be good to get together and have another chat in the future. Um, so yeah, mate, honestly, can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you very much, and I'm sure people will uh, really enjoy the pod. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Gary, for the opportunity. No worries, mate. Take it easy.